Hi everyone, you're listening to the Singapore Noodles podcast, where we look forward to a world in which Singaporeans are proud of our rich and diverse food culture and play an active role in keeping traditions alive. I'm your host, Pamelia Chia, and today I'm joined by Christopher Ng, who is the blogger behind Christopher's Asian Delicacies. Christopher was born in Singapore and later moved to Australia for university and subsequently to the Netherlands for his MBA. He has been active at the Chinese Indonesian Heritage Centre in the Netherlands since 2014, giving presentations and contributing to the Traditions and Culture column. He currently lives in The Hague with his partner and cat and spends his free time creating exquisite old-school Peranakan confections. So what are you doing in the Netherlands? Um, I came here to be with my partner Mm. um, and I did my MBA as well. and then I've been working in the corporate uh, environment for until the 2014, when I decided to step out of it. Mm. Um, so I've been, you know, um, staying at home, um, not working and doing the things that I like. <laughs> yeah, which is making cakes and kueh and things like that. Yes, I, I think it has given me enough time to really go into it and to practice um, mm. and have the luxury of time, so to speak. Just wanting to perfect it. Yeah, so if you look into my Instagram, it's kind of boring because it's always the same thing. No, you know? it's not. I feel that it's wonderful. I mean, hardly anyone cooks like that these days. I mean, the layers are so uniform in your cakes. have to thank what you call it, my mentor, like the, the, the old lady, the old auntie who taught me. Yeah. You know, hers was really perfect. Um, yeah. was ex- as if you use a ruler, you know, and you draw lines and they're all straight and even. And so that was my benchmark. Mm. Um, so, you're, I, so you're a Peranakan in heritage? No, I'm Hakka. Oh, you're uh, Hakka. My parents are Hakka. Uh, but we do have Peranakan relatives. Ah, um, I see. So it's, it's like, like a lot of Singaporean, what you call that, uh, families. You know, you, you live in a multicultural, mild, multi-different dialects um, group. So you kind of, you know, live and absorb, you know, all kinds of things around, around your, your family, kind of, so to speak. Mm. Our neighbour of my uh, family home, they were our distant relatives and they were Pranakans. Mm. And it was really very interesting because we, it was, we were just divided by a fence, so to speak, you know. Um, so during meal times, um, dishes will just go across the, the fence, you know. Oh, Ours will go so to them and theirs will come to us kind of thing. And, and he married a lady in Wajikada when I was, I think when I was primary three. She, he married someone who was really interested in, in baking cakes. Mm. And I actually observed her baking and it's like, you know, and, and, I, and I started trying to bake it myself. And I think when I was nine years old, I made my first orange chiffon cake, so to mm. speak, which was a disaster. Um, but she learned from, you know, she, at, at that time, I think it was Lana cakes, you know, it was all the rage of orange chiffon, the chocolate fudge, mm. and, you know, so, so it, it's those things, you know, I grew up with that. Yeah. Um, my grandmother cooked a lot, um, yeah. and she stayed with us. And me being me, I think I was quite precocious when I was young, so I was always running around. Um, up to mischief and she was taking care of me and she would just make sure that I am with her in the kitchen you mm. know? so I, I saw a lot of things um, that she made and kind of you know learn along the way 
Mm. And it was really nice, you know, to be with her, you know, um, yeah. in, in preparing food because she would have her relatives and her friends coming, mm. you know, um, and, and they would, usually when they come, they would chit-chat and after a while, they'll start cooking. Yeah. So as they cook, uh, I would be with them and then it was the perfect, it was really nice, you know, because um, part of it was because when, when you're with them, you get to hear all the family gossips. <laughs> You know, yeah. then like, who is uh, having financial difficulty, who is having mm-hmm. an affair, and, you know, all that kind of things. Yeah. So I really liked um, being with her, you know, because mm-hmm. I get to hear all these things. Then in the meantime, it's me, I think, learning indirectly what to do and how to do kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Can I ask whether, like, in the past, there was a kind of gender stereotype where, like, females were meant to be in the kitchen and males were meant to be out of the kitchen? Was there such a thing? Not in my family. Mm. Um, No, there wasn't a thing. It's it's like, what I used to hear when I was young was, uh, my grandmother would say things like, oh, you should be like your sister, you know? She's always in her room reading her books. (laughs) Why are you playing all the time? So you come here and you help me. Yeah. So I'll be like peeling onions, peeling shallots, yeah, yeah. cutting things, you know. Uh, and she would instruct and teach me how to do things the right way, you know, or her way, so to speak. Mm, fantastic. But so, so did you always love being in the kitchen or, or did you feel like it was part torture? No, never a torture. I enjoyed it. I always liked food. Mm. Uh, always, I, I think my sister loves love food as well. And it, it's something very close. I mean, to me, it's it's food is something which, which is just not what you eat. You know, it, mm. it's linked to memories. It's linked to tradition. It links to, you know, a lot of things. You know, um, so it's just not sustenance. It's more than sustenance. Mm. So- and, and she was watch for that, and she ra- she ran the household. Um, so she did the, the shopping for food as well. Mm. And I, th- I think we went to, she went to the same market that you went to when you were young at Lakeview. You know? Oh my gosh. Right. Um, so we, we moved from Queenstown to Thompson Hills in the early 70s. Okay. And when we were at Thompson Hills, it was really very ulu. Um, there weren't, uh, Amokyo was not there. Mm. Um, so the only place to do shopping for food was at like Lakeview. Oh my so God. every Saturday, um, the whole family would go. It would be like an excursion. My grandmother, my father, and when my mother, when she was around, my mother was a nurse. So she was, you know, she had her duties. But every Saturday, we would go to Lakeview. Early in the morning at 7.30. I miss that market so much. Oh, I miss that market so much. So, and at the hawker centre, you know, mm. at the other side, down the steps kind of thing, mm. you know. And it was so big, um, right? The market? It was huge. Yeah, compared um, to like wet markets these days, it was so big. It was big. I mean, there were two sections, the mm. fruits and I think the fruits, the fish. And then the other side, you had the vegetables and the chicken or something like that. Okay. You know, yeah, honestly, um, I can't remember the wet market side of things. I was like, back then, I was more interested in the eating. So I remember oh. that. <laughs> I remember that when you walked up the flight of stairs on the right, you have like the pao shop where you can have like steaming pao's and uh, and then you have like lor mai kai. And I remember my kindergarten teacher would be sitting there and drink, drinking her kopi before school. And then on the left, it was like the row of hawker stalls, right? Right, right. Uh, that row of hawker stalls, very fond memories. 
um, there was the Tao Suan, then there was the it was the Tao Suan, the Chai Tao Gui, the Hainanese porridge, and then there was a Laksa, and the lady always had this beautifully comb bun, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then next to the aisle, then you have the fishbowl noodle soup, and then you had right at the end you had the 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 Hokkien mee, the prawn mee. Um and it was, it was, you know, we always went to that side and not the other side facing the car park kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so a lot of fond memories, you know, of that place. And then there was a bookshop around the there corner facing the Thompson Road. Oh my God, I can't I remember. Used I, go, I used to go there to buy my cassettes, you know, mm. my ABBA cassettes, my BG's cassettes, whatever that came out. And that, that was the place to go. Um, mm. And it disappeared, you know. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like now when you go back to Singapore, do you feel a sense of like loss? I feel that every time I go back to Singapore, the landscape is changing so rapidly. It's, it's changing. It's heart-wrenching. Um, um, that is the word I use. It is heart-wrenching. For me, it's heart-wrenching every time I go back to Singapore um, because mm. I see the difference. Um, mm. And it's a significant marked difference every year. Mm. Um, and it is really very heart wrenching. And I try to watch. I try to go to the places uh, which are familiar to me. But even those places are changing rapidly. Um, mm. Although what you call that certain places they are still very familiar. But I wonder how long they're going to last. Yeah, exactly. I think that's why a lot of Singaporeans they have this like unsettled kind of feeling because I mean what do you hold on to you know when the places that you grew up going to are disappearing at such a such right. a fast rate it's, this is it's is, it is happening at such a fast pace and it has also become the norm in Singapore mm. you know that, that nothing lasts forever so for me I, it's kind of worrisome because yeah it's a sense of ungroundedness you know mm. for me um and I think you can relate to it. It's like we are, we are not, you're, you're in Australia, I'm in the Netherlands, we are not born in these places. Mm. So already it's like, you know, trying to be rooted in a foreign country, there is only so much you can root yourself and so much time to root yourself. Mm. And then you go back to your, your motherland, your home country, and then it's like, huh? <laughs> I can't even recognize this. Oh, where is my favorite laksa man? Oh, his dad is gone. Oh, where is this? Oh, it's gone. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Now it's an MRT station, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Very small little memories like the, the post office at Thompson Road mm-hmm. near Sin Min. Mm-hmm. It was one of my favorite places to go to because every time I go back to Singapore, I would post things back to the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, that whole place disappeared, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, 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 either the Wanam uh, coffee shop near Senin Road. That one, the, the coffee shop that sells dim sum, that disappeared oh, as well. At Marymount, is it? No, it's at um, it's Upper Thompson Road, the junction of Upper yeah, Thompson near Road. the the Mee Pok place, right? The Mee yes. Pok, the Prata House. Yes. yes, yes, you know. So even the Mee Pok thing kind of changed. I think the last time I went back, you know, everything is changing all the time. You know. Yeah. And I feel that with COVID, you know, I feel this added sense of urgency to want to go back and taste all the food, you know, before it's gone. Because right. my favorite hawker stalls are closing, you know, even places that are not like heritage food, places like Waffle Town at Coronation. 
So I used to go there all the time, you know, for for waffles and for like they had this barbecued fish. Um, and it was actually a scene for Ilo Ilo, which is a Singaporean film. Yeah, yes. and it's gone. Yeah, and it's oh, so it's gone. <laughs> yeah, and it's very sad because I feel that it's like how can you actually like hold on to all these places? You know, there's no way to. Right. The 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 the, the anchor is not stable. Mm. Um, or, or it's a dynamic anchor. Mm. You know, it's not an anchor that's really anchored. No, yes. it's always moving. And I guess if I were to be in Singapore, it's fine because then you're part of the mess and you're just moving with the anchor. Well, everybody is just moving, you know. But we are like this place yeah. and we are anchored like, you know, if you look into the time frame, like a certain time frame, you know, two years or a few months. But, but in between, things have changed and we haven't caught up and we were not part of the movement. Oh, so sad the way you phrase it. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the reality. I mean, that's the, the heart-wrenching part, which yeah. I think a lot of Singaporeans cannot relate to. Mm, unless you live abroad, right? And then you experience I, I, that same feeling correct, of... Correct. Correct. I, I think Singaporeans, I think they would understand, but they wouldn't understand the psychological meaning of that. Yeah, but I guess, you know, that's the thing about being abroad. I guess you always see things back home in Singapore with like a different set of lens, like this lens of nostalgia and everything is like so rose-tinted, right? There's a part of it that is, is what you call, it's a lot of nos- nostalgia. Yeah. And part of it is, you know, whether we want to admit it or not, it is an element of homesickness. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people wouldn't want to say it, but to me, it's, it's homesick. You know, it's like whether you choose to admit or not, for me, it's like, you know, I'm home here, but I'm also not at home. Mm, admitting to that feeling of being displaced. La, Correct. Right? Uh, ungroundedness, la, mm, you know. Mm. Um, um, so would you consider like ne- the Netherlands as your home now or Singapore? It's my home. I mean, it's, this, this is where I'm staying. Mm, yeah. Um, but... In, in some ways, it's like, you know, there will always be a, a subtle difference. Yeah. You know, the fact is, you know, when in my first 30 years of my life, I didn't share it with them here. Mm. You know, so I didn't have a Dutch childhood. Yeah. I didn't have a lot. I didn't have the same life experience. I didn't grow up here. So in some ways, you know, there is a difference. It's, it's, it's the same. It's like, you know, I, I, for the first 20 years of my life, I was in Singapore. Then I was, you know, then I was in Australia. Then I had a job that, which brought me all over the world kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's different because once you're away from Singapore for quite some time or from your home country, you are not part of, you, you, then you, did, you have stopped developing together as a whole with the host countries. <laughs> Yeah. You like it or not, that's what it is, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's a painful fact, but it's a reality. Mm. So how do you reconcile that? Uh, how do I reconcile it? By admitting that that's the way the cookie crumbles. Mm. You, can't, you, can't, you can't change anything. In the meantime, it's like I just do things that capture memories of Singapore. So the food that I make, mm. and I try to capture the taste and 
the texture and the whatever you want to call it of certain points in my life. So the lapis is from the 70s when I was very young. Mm. One of my, I remember we had a housewarming at one of our relatives in Barceris in the 70s. Mm. And she made the lapis, which, which, was, which is like what I'm making now kind of thing. And I remember she used to make the lapis in a charcoal oven. Ooh. You know, in a round charcoal oven and her lapis was round kind of thing. And then much later, I met this old auntie and she made the lapis exactly the same, even better. Mm. So I kind of, you know, um, learned it from her and she was generous enough to share her recipe with me. Yeah. And and I practiced the last 22 years to get it right. (laughs) That's wonderful. I feel that you should like pass it down to the next generation or something like Um, yourself. I I promise her I will never share her recipe. Mm. Yeah, know, I so think that's the thing unfortunately, about Unfortunately, it. it's going to go with me to my grave. <laughs> so sad. Oh my God. No, it's very sad. But, but the thing is, even if I were to give someone the recipe, mm. he or she would not be able to do it. Yeah, because it's a lot of experience and skill. Right. It's a lot of experience, a lot of skills. It's like how I... Because this is what I think. I, once you repeat something over and over again, the process will teach you. Mm. Um, the whole philosophy uh, of, of my mother, my grandmother, the Pranakas, they will always say things like aga aga. You know? mm. So a lot of people will say things estimate. It's not estimate. It's cooking <laughs> intuitively. There's nothing about guessing. You know? yeah. It's you actually know what to do. Mm. So there, there's nothing. So you, even with the lapis as well, you know, um, it's only it's only this year, uh, the this year I kind of all of a sudden it's like okay now I can admit to myself I can do it. It's a matter of managing the ingredients. Mm. So you have butter, you have eggs, and both are both of them are living ingredients. You know, mm. um, they are alive. You know, you yeah they're dead but they're actually alive. You know, kind of thing. Mm. So you have to manage the ingredients and. I have to manage the temperature here because it's a cold country here. Mm. So it's like, you know, how do I manage the butter? And you know the properties of butter. It's like you know, when it's cold, it will solidify kind of thing. How do I manage the temperature so that it would affect the ingredients the way it should affect kind of thing? It's like, it's always cold here kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And then I have to manage the, what you call that? The oven as well. Because mm. the oven is like, you can say it's constant, but the temperature goes up and down. So, yeah. so it's managing different, different, um, what you call that, uh, things are dimensions in order to bake something well, kind of thing. You know? mm. So do you um, cook other than baking? Um, yes. So basically, when I started, what you call, when I started learning how to cook, I was only interested in making kueh. So in making nyonya kuis, so to speak. Mm. Um, when I was young, you know, I used to eat very yummy home-cooked kuis kind of thing, you know. And then when, watch that, lo and behold, you know, in the 80s, people stopped making home, mm. you know, making kuis at home because, you know, things became commercially available. So what you used to hear is like, you know, our back things like, hey, auntie, auntie, can you make a... Uh, uh, 
Kueh salad for me, you know. They say, Ay, I don't want lah, you know. I already la tired lah. You go and buy from that shop, you know. <laughs> and you know what shop that is. And I said, but it's different. Then she said, Ay, I can lah. Can lah, you know. That, that was the response. Everybody was like saying, Ay, I don't want lah. You know, tired already. Already have to, have to take care of grandchildren. You go and buy from the shop. Then, then you say things like, it's not the same. You know, yeah lah, you know, to say, ah, yeah, but can lah, you know. Mm-hmm. For, for that difference, you know, you want me to cook, you know. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people stop baking. So mm-hmm. I, I see that in my family as well. My mother used to make pineapple tarts, bangke, suji cake, um, um, kue blanda for Chinese New Year. She stopped when I went to secondary school in 81. So when 81, she stopped making. And she said, you can buy from the shops, but. Mm. Then you say, but it's different. She said, ah, yeah, can la, you know, can mm. la, you know, it's rather than to slave and, you know, people started buying from shops. Yeah. From the 80s, I started recording and learning because I realized that, no, even my, my mother, my aunts, all the people around me, they are not making anymore. Mm. So, so there was like where, manual documentation, not like on a blog or something. The blog no, it was manual documentation. I still have my dot matrix printed recipes kind of thing. <laughs> so funny. Um, and I started going around asking, you know, how, how do you make, how do you make, how do you make, how do you make. Uh, I started compiling and I started developing my own recipe based on different people. Mm-hmm. So my my kueku or my anku kue recipe is a recipe of like seven people. Wow. So I take the best from everybody kind of thing and it mm-hmm. came up with something. But it's something where I watch that a lot of people would take the benchmark of, oh, good anku kue is there, there, there. In Singapore, no, there are a few places. People say it's good. But it's never the same as homemade. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. And the, the real pranakan kueku, nobody is selling because it's too labor intensive. I feel that with COVID now, more and more home-based businesses are starting to sell these kind of labor-intensive ways. So I feel that, you know, in some way, COVID was a good thing for... It's a good thing, really. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, everyone talks about the downsides of COVID, but I think it actually did a lot for heritage food in Singapore, don't you think? It did a lot. It really did a lot. Um, If I look into... My case in, in, in the Netherlands, um, so sometimes I do make my things and I offer to Singaporeans living here. Um, and it was because of COVID that I have the time to stay at home and to do all these things, you know. Mm. Um, and to me, it's also, for me, it's also one of these things. But one of the things is to, what you call that, to, to share with Singaporeans here what queries are supposed to taste like. Mm. You know, it's a little bit OCD and uh, there's a tinge of pride and arrogance. Uh, like, like, you know, the commercial things are commercial things. Homemade things are homemade things. No, but, you know, I think that is the huge benefit that your generation has. My generation grew up with, like, all the shop-bought stuff. I never tasted homemade kueh until I married my husband and his grandma taught me how to make her anku kueh. And I was like, oh my god, I never loved anku kueh. But after having tasted hers, the skin was so soft. It was so tender. It was, you know, so thin. And the the filling she made herself, she would make like the mung bean filling and she would add a little bit of ginger juice to it. And it was amazing. Like I never loved kueh until I had hers. Right. 
So, so a lot of people think kueh are too sweet, stodgy, flowery, mm. sticky, you know. But real kueh, the texture is very, very different. Mm. Um, and especially if you make them with freshly pressed coconut milk, mm. it is divine, you know. So what I'm making is from, from Tetra Pak coconut milk. It's mm. already, I tried my best to replicate the taste. But if I were to use freshly grated coconut and I squeeze the santan out of it, the taste is totally different. Mm. So do you feel that, do you feel hopeful about Singaporean cuisine? I mean, now that, I mean, it, it feels like a very like solo man effort on your part, right? Like trying to relive all these memories. But, um, you know, a lot of young Singaporeans in Singapore, they would never think of making their own kueh, let alone squeezing their own coconut milk. Mm, I, th- I think in the end, it, would be, it wouldn't be a, what you call that, a, a mass thing. It would be a specialized thing. So you would have crazy people like me who would want to do these things, you know. Mm. Um, will it- but I guess like the, the number of people who actually know how to make these things and people who have actually tasted the real thing, the right. the, 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 the the group size would be so small, you Very know. Very small. The, the thing is, even my generation, not everybody had the good fortune to taste them. Mm. Um, and you're talking about people live, uh, what, having their childhood in the 70s. Mm. So in, in some ways, you know, I was lucky to be able to watch. It's the tail end of the era where you have people who cook their food every day. Yeah. Um, it's a tail end of the era where you had uh, the, the old ladies who knew everything, you know, in their yeah. heads kind of thing. So even when it came to my mother's generation, she was a working, she was a working mom. Mm. She didn't spend her time cooking. She, did, and she didn't spend her time cooking every day. Um, mm. My grandma did, did all the cooking. Mm. Uh, she didn't learn cooking when she was young. Mm. She learned cooking from Tam Yu Gai. <laughs> you know, and that she was that generation in the 60s where they would learn from Tam Yu Kai and blah blah blah. And then at that, I think at that era was also you know, wanting to learn different things, kind of thing, and your own culture and all those things is just put aside, kind of thing, you know. Mm. Um, very much so in, in, in contemporary Singapore, where people would want to cook pasta, make French food, and, you know, foie gras and got no swat. But their own things, who is really interested in making the real traditional heritage foods? It's always seen as something that is, hate to say it, second class. Mm. You know, yeah. very sad, you know, where our own things, our own food, our own culture is always put at the second place where mm. and everyone is chasing towards you know, the latest yeah. and blah and sushi yeah. and God knows what and, and all kinds of things. But know? I feel that we are seeing a new gen um not a new generation, a new era, you know, mm. with with you know, in the past few years. Um so I remember that when I was a young cook, um, you know, there was no interest in heritage food, right? Mm. Uh, it's seen as super uncool to want to make like zita at home, like replicate some zita food at home, or even to make like 
the food that your mother or your grandmother made, you know. So when I was a young cook, I was always chasing after European produce, European dishes, wanted to make like souffles, you know. I never even thought of making kuehs. But I think partly it was because like like what you said, the older generation have this like exacting standards because they grew up with that kind of quality kuehs or right. quality local dishes that I felt that whatever I made would never match up. You know, anything that I make that is local would be met with like scathing remarks or like criticism, you know, like, oh, yeah, it's not good. You know what I mean? Because the older generation, they don't mince their words. And so like, you know, I'm very sensitive. So I really would hate that kind of comment. So I started cooking a lot of Western food. And I feel that it was only after, after I moved abroad that I really discovered how important it is to cook local food and to embrace your Singaporeanness, you know, but I'm just afraid that what if a Singaporean living in Singapore has never had an opportunity to live abroad like us and never experienced how precious it is to have the culinary heritage that we do, you know, then what is that impetus to want to reconnect with their heritage? It's, it's very tricky. The, the thing is, you only appreciate it when you lose it. That's Which is too late, right? I mean, it's the same with, with us, you know. Mm. We start really appreciating when we are out of the country. Mm. Yeah. When you're in there, you always, you always take things for granted. And that's, that's the human psyche, you know. Yeah. Um, mm. it, it's wired in our DNA and every single human being. It's only when you start losing things that you start appreciating things. Yeah. And I guess, like, that is the biggest challenge that I have running Singapore Noodles. I mean, my mission is to get more young Singaporeans living in Singapore to be interested in home cooking and like cooking Singaporean food at home. But you know, how, how, how can I bring that kind of awareness of the importance to them? You know, I, that is what I am still trying to figure out. It's, I, I think it's, it's, it's manifested in food, but it's, if you were to go deeper, that is more than food. It's also the environment. You know, the Singaporean environment, it's very different. Certain things are normalized. Uh, and it's also, in Singapore, food is so convenient and so cheap. Mm. So there isn't also an impetus to cook yourself, you know. Yeah, unless um, it is for reasons like health, right? Like where you want right. to eat healthy. Correct. And then if you look into it, um, in the modern way of living, it's like not everything needs to be fast and convenient. Um, yeah. So it's like, and also the working environment, you know, people are so overworked and so tired. Do the you last thing that, want, Don't you pardon? feel that in the past, people used to be, you know, used to work a lot as well? Uh, yes, but in the past, we didn't have iPhones. <laughs> I was listening to an interview with uh, Edmund, who is the the CEO of Epigram Bookstore in Singapore. Okay. And uh, he was saying that, um, you know, now we keep complaining that people have iPhones and technology. But back then, people were also distracted by things like kite flying and like fighting spiders. Okay. Video watching, watching videos, Hong Kong series. I remember in the <laughs> 80s, you would have aunties who refuse to make quiz because they want to watch don't know how many video cassettes or God knows what. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, of course. But I guess it's the intensity uh, that's different. That, that's the difference. Um, and also, you know, don't know lah. Don't know lah. I, 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 think, I think it's a very tricky thing. I really don't know what it is. 
so what I am doing is I am just putting things out there. Mm. The, with the attitude, I don't care. Like, I just put down there. You want to see, you'll see. You don't want to see, that's your problem. So I'll just share whatever I share. It's, it's a glimpse into what I'm doing. Mm. Um, so on Instagram, it's a very mundane things. You know, my mother will always say things like, why are you always making nasi lemak? Why are you always making sahih lode? I was thinking, yeah, because I want to make the best nasi lemak. I want to make the best sahih lode. Um, I want to make the best lapis. And that's it, you know? So I'm always repeating the same thing, you know? You repeat, 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 repeat until it becomes part of your nature, you know? In our contemporary, what you call that, uh, uh, world now, it's like, you know, everybody wants to do it once and be a be a be, be a master of, of a recipe but that doesn't happen my own auntie used to tell me things like you know i'll say hey auntie recipe uh, you know no good you know you know what she'll say no not my recipe no good you no good <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know so it's like you need to have developed the skills mm. um one would need to develop skills one would need to develop the intuition you know? mm. And that unfortunately takes time. Mm. In a way, it's very Japanese, right? That kind of mindset. Yeah, it is very Japanese. So if you look into it, it's like you know the the sashimi chef that will spend five years cutting fish yeah. before he could you know go on to the next level. It's that. It's that. You know? you know how many young Singaporeans will have that kind of mindset because it's a very like older generation kind of mindset, right? Where you put in the hard work. It's like what they call Kung Fu, right? Like you really have to practice. It is Kung Fu. It is. So when I was young, when I was learning Kueis or learning all these things, um, can relate to what you say, like, you know, the, the, you have to understand that the older generation, they operate in a very different way, you know? Mm. When, they, <clears throat> when they encourage you, they encourage you by putting you down. Mm. You know, so, uh, but we are brought up in a very different way, you know, I think open to like positive affirmations and blah, 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 <laughs> and all those things. But for, to them, they're totally alien concept to them. It's like, no, you shouldn't say good things. No, remember in the past, the older generations will never say that a baby is beautiful and good. Oh my say, God. Oh, it's such an ugly baby. Oh, horrible. And blah, blah, blah. And that, that. You know, that was what, that was the culture then. Exactly. You're not supposed to praise, you know. <clears throat> I feel that, that that is one of the reasons why, like, I feel like my mental health has improved dramatically since <laughs> leaving Singapore. Do you think so? I feel like, <clears throat> like, I remember when I was having lunch with an Australian uh, and a Japanese friend, and I was telling them about my, you know, my childhood, how my parents would correct me and things like that. And all, all like, how, how, you know, my relatives would say certain things. And like my Australian friend was like so shocked, you know, he was like, he, he turned to his Japanese partner and he was like, did you get the same thing? You know, and he was so concerned. And I was right. like, you know, it's so interesting that, you know, in Singapore, what is normalized could be seen as toxic or even abusive in Western cultures. But I, I think it's what you it is, of course, when, when, when you see things with that, those glasses, mm. but you need to put things in context and a lot of things are seen out of context mm. you know so like when I was growing up you know when you know learning from aunties and learning you know, they would say things like why are you so stupid yeah you know the word stupid foolish it's used very very liberally and easily yeah. you know 
But it's actually, what you call that, it's actually a term of endearment. It is. But yeah. I mean, as a, as a child, instinctively, would you feel like, like, oh, I feel terrible because, you know, this word is used on me. Have you ever felt that way? No. I always was so affected, you know, like by, um, by such kind of things. I, I really hated it. Um, I don't know. I think I've got to wait another 20 years and see yeah. psych- psychologically what will manifest. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But then it's like being silly, being blah. It's like, don't know, you just laugh it off, you know. It's mm. like, you no, know, like, like cooking kind of thing. It's like, you know, so silly, you should be doing this. So silly, you should be doing that. Why are you so stupid, you know, kind of oh thing. I feel like that is one of the reasons why a lot of the, the younger Singaporeans that I know, they shun cooking Singaporean food for that reason. Because they can't stand their mothers or their grandmothers nagging at them. Like, it's literally like another mental or like physical obstacle in their right. way, you know, in the kitchen. And so, like, sometimes when I talk to my, my friends, um, they'll, they'll tell me, Pam, you know, just wait, just wait until I get my own house and then I will start cooking Singaporean food because it's almost impossible when the kitchen is seen as like a, territory of like the matriarch of the family right psychologically speaking yes because you're talking about power and control (laughs) the psychology background is showing (laughs) right psychologically yes because it's all about power and and power status control is you know and it's in the human dna that you know one would want to dominate the other kind of thing you know um but it's one of those things where, you know, I guess I, in some way, I managed to negotiate. So to me, then, what I want to eat was more important than all these things. Yeah, tam jiak la. <laughs> tam jiak la. You know, very, 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 very much, very greedy. Mm. Uh, wanted to eat the best thing, wanted to learn, you know. And, and, and I do understand, it's very, it was very frustrating. So mm. it's like, you go to an old auntie and say, Auntie, you teach me how to make kueh salad. Yeah, yeah, I'll teach you, I'll teach you, I'll teach you. Ah, yeah, come, 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 come. So when you're there, she's already cooking already. It's like, what is there to teach? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. To me, it's like, oh, you say you want to teach me, and then when I'm there, you're already making it, you're stirring the kaya already. It's like, uh, mm. but before that, how did you put that? And, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then the, the, the common answer is, like that lah, like that lah, you know, uh, like that lah, like that lah, like that lah. Uh, and then, uh, how much, how much do you, how much sugar do you use? Uh, agak lah, uh, you know, if your eggs is like that, then about equal lah, and then you can a little bit, can a little bit less. Uh, but auntie, if I put a little bit less, um, would it affect? Um, sometimes lah, and then and after you adjust lah. <laughs> it's like, huh? You know, so it was the same thing my grandmother was making, what you got. Uh, there was one she was no I was making kue lapis the steam kue lapis the the the, the canteen she would say the gao chang go kind of thing mm. so I followed a cookbook you know the recipe of a cookbook and then it failed you know it failed and it just wouldn't gel it wouldn't form my grandmother yeah you're so stupid and then she just took over everything and then she took her hot the, the santan that was boiling and she just took it and she just poured it into a flour. I said, no, what are you doing? It's not according to the recipe and blah, blah. And then she just said things, something like, this is the way it's done. What you read, I know why, I know how to make, why don't you come to me? Why you are so stupid? Kind of look, go and read a recipe book. I was like, okay. Yeah. Oh, but, so they, mm, but they, they, they know a lot of things, but they were not very encouraging. 
Yeah, but at the same time, I always feel that like grandmothers or mothers always think that they know best just because they are older. You know what I mean? And then when you question like, oh, why do you do it like that? They, they can't give you a response. They'll be like, uh, that's the way I saw my mom do it, you know? And, and you're like, huh? So you just blindly follow and then they'll be like, yeah, just follow, you know? So, so things like, you know, old wives' tales, like... Um, stirring your dumpling mixture in a single direction with your chopsticks or like you know putting a soup spoon in a pot of braising you know maybe pork belly or something to make it even more tender you 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 really can't discern what is true and what is not and like if you dare to say anything you know they will just get so upset because i think they're not trained in that way they're not trained to do things scientifically so there wasn't there isn't a scientific method. True. Um, so in, in my cooking, I try to adopt a scientific method as well. Uh, I, I think to describe it accurately, it would be an intuitive scientific method. Mm. So it, it's scientific in the sense that I would be able to I want to replicate things, but because ingredients are something which are not dead and constant. So you need to be intuitive as well. So it's it's different skills which a person would need to develop, you know. Yeah. And now when you cook, you where do you get your ingredients from? I mean, I'm surprised that you can find all the ingredients in the Netherlands. Yeah, you can. Because um there is a colonial past. There's a the the Dutch were the the Dutch colonized uh, Indonesia. Uh-huh. So there are a lot of Indonesians here. So uh-huh. you can get um a lot of the things for the rumpa here, no problem. Um, even easier now than 20 years ago. Mm. Um, and then I've got my friends and my mother, they, they always send packages of food. Nah, you know, kind of. yeah. So I last got four big packets of ikan beliefs, two oh big packets of, of, of hebi. Uh, my friends send me 120 buakaluak nuts. Oh my uh, god! It's a different language, la, a different language of love, la, you know. Um, that's how that's how they they they, they communicate, la, you know. Mm. It's, it's the Asian way, you know. Yeah, true. Food is love, la. Food yeah. is love because it is you know what it is? It is people fail to realize because food in it is effort. So it's not saying, I love you. Very easy, you know, I love you. You say three words, I love you. But to cook food for someone and as expression of love, mm. it is effort, you know. Yeah. And it is a lot. So it is not only cooking. It is shopping for the food. Yeah. It is cleaning up after that. Yeah. But actually, right, I feel that it depends on your, um, what do they call it? Love language, you know. Yes, precisely. Because like, for example, for me, my acts of service is very low, you know. My, the highest one is probably words of affirmation. <laughs> yeah, which is why I probably get so like sensitive about, you know, criticism or like, you know, I, I, I feel that Asian people should be more expressive, you know, with their children especially because I feel that it's so different from Western culture in that in Asian culture, you have the hierarchy, right? Like there is this element of respect um, in addition to love. Um, but here it's like in Australia, at least with my, my friends, it's all like, oh, I want to be your best friend as your parent kind of thing. 
right. which is not that common in Asia. So I feel that after having moved to Australia, it really highlighted some of the differences mm-hmm. um, that that I experienced and I see in Singapore. And I feel that there is a growing gap, you know, at least like some people would say that it's a disdain for the older generation, for the way that they parent, the way that they operate. Like, for example, with my mom, right? She's very like, she doesn't say what she thinks. So, so for example, when she, uh, when we bring her to a restaurant, say I bring her to an Australian restaurant, she would just like pick at the food and I'll be left wondering like, is she hungry? Is she not hungry? Does she like the food? Does she not like the food? Is the food too expensive? That's why she's not eating. Or is it like the portion is too small? And then so I'll bring her to like an Asian restaurant where it's like big plate, you know, lots of value and she'll tuck in and I'm like, okay, so that's the thing. You know what I mean? But it's a lot of guesswork and I was watching um, the Joy Luck Club. I'm not sure if you watched that movie, yes. but I was like, oh my God, that scene um, of the, um, the cook always have to, you know, criticize her own cooking saying, oh, you know, this is not a very good piece of steamed fish. And then like the literal, yeah, Western <laughs> interpretation is to, you know, add more seasoning, right? I was like, oh my God, like I can totally relate to that. It's, it's a different way of communication. It's very, it's cultural. You know, and you need to be in the culture to understand. You know? Yeah, correct. And I mean, you living abroad, you know, how, how do you reconcile these new notions of expressing love and like the symbolism of food compared to like in the Asian culture, which you were brought up, brought up in? Can't, can't even try, you know. Don't, don't even want to try, <laughs> so to speak. Because you're talking about a different set of values. Um, different set of values, different set of priorities. It's a totally different culture. Um, mm-hmm. I would be able to, what you call that, I would be able to try and let people understand the symbolism, um, the language behind certain things. But I guess a lot of people here wouldn't be able to get it. So like, for example, in, in the Netherlands, um, there's an unwritten rule that everything needs to be prepared in 20 minutes. Like dinner, dinner needs to be prepared in 20 minutes. If it's more than 20 minutes, you're spending too much time cooking. Really? Oh, that's shocking. Because you know why? Because a typical Dutch dinner is aardbol groenteflees, which means potatoes, vegetables, meat. Potatoes are usually peeled and boiled. How long does it take to cook potatoes? 20 minutes. In the meantime, you boil your vegetables and you fry your meat in butter. Mm-hmm. So everything needs to be done in 20 minutes. And for me, it's not even enough time for the preparation and the some plus. It's not even enough time to do that. It's like, <laughs> huh? 20 minutes, huh? What can you eat? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I never knew. Yeah. So that's, that's the mentality of the people here. So when I first came here, um, you know, and then, then, then watch that I would be cooking, you know, me siam, I would spend the whole day cooking. And people are like, wow, so much effort, ah, blah, and all these things. And to me, it's like, no more, what? Wait till you, wait till you see what we do for Christmas. We spend three days cooking and everything is done in half an hour. What, what do you make for Christmas? 
Oh, oh Christmas in, in Singapore, we used to make Peranakan food. Oh, okay. okay. You know, so it takes three days. No, the first day you do all your rempah and everything. The second day you do your meat and blah, whatever you can, can, can prepare beforehand. And the third day you cook. So, so you're saying that the Dutch are, are people that eat to live. Is, is that it? Like food is... I think traditionally, things have changed a lot. Uh, when I first came here in the late 90s and now, and now it's becoming like Singapore, like people chasing about you know, what's in places and you know, all kinds of things. Mm. Um, but what you call that, it's, it's, it's moving. Like, you know? a, a lot of things are like trends now. Kind of thing. Mm. I think for me, like, the biggest difference that I discern between Singaporeans and Australians is that um, maybe it's because I'm living rurally, so the, the difference is even more stark. But I felt that like... In Singapore, the diversity that we have, we take for granted. Like, I always assumed that everyone was as adventurous when it came to eating or, or had as diverse a palate growing up. But I realized that that's not the case because now when I live in the countryside, right, like, people usually just go to the pub and eat, like, fish and chips or chicken schnitzel, uh, that, that kind of stuff. And I was like, wow, like, you know, are you never sick of that? You know what I mean? Um, I think people will never be sick of it because what you don't know, you will miss. Yeah, true. You know, so it's a totally different psyche that we are talking about, you know. Mm, yeah, so I prepare Wax's um, lunchbox and fun fact, he works for a Dutch company. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, like his colleagues, right, they will always be looking at his lunchbox and they will always be eating instant things like instant um. I uh, don't know what, what they eat, like instant food. And then they'll look over at his lunchbox and every single day is like a different cuisine. Because like his, his lunchbox is usually what we have for dinner, but leftovers, right? So it goes into the lunchbox. You'll be like, huh? Your wife knows how to make like cornbread and she knows how to make like Chinese food. And she knows how to make like, like um, Yorkshire puddings for Christmas. Like, you know, they just can't grapple with it. Of course well. You know, I mean, it, it, it's normal. I mean, to, to, to us, it's very normal, you know, kind of thing. Um, and I think what you call it, and, and sometimes, you know, for me, it's like, you know, when friends come over, it's like, oh, cannot cook Asian. Really. Otherwise, they think that I can only cook Asian thing, you know. You know? Mm-hmm. So I'll cook my French stews and all these things. And they're like, oh, ah, so nice. So of course, I'm very OCD, but I do things the right way. <laughs> yeah, wow. So it, it's, it's, as you say, like, you know, it, it's like, I think we Singaporeans, in some ways, we are exposed. I think at a young age, we are really exposed to different things. You know, the Malay, Indians, Chinese, and within the Chinese, you've got you know, all kinds of Hokkien food, Cantonese food, Teochew food, Hakka food, God knows what. Then you've got Pranakan food. Then you've got Malay food. You've got different kinds of Malay foods, different kinds of Indian food. And already, that's a lot. Then you throw in the things of you've got Thai food, Vietnamese food, mm. Japanese food, Korean food. Then you have Italian, French, God knows what, pop food, English food, colonial food. It's like, it's, you know, even what we ate at home in the past, you know, it's all kinds of things, you know. It's like my, my mum and my grandmother would cook all kinds of things. You know? mm. um, so it's never like, you know, if you're Hokkien, you eat only Hokkien things. Yeah, definitely. At least you only eat Cantonese things. So we, we had Cantonese soups, Yeah, you know. It's very interesting because like today I made um, chicken, um, 
chicken with glutinous rice wine soup. And I always thought of it as like a, as a Hakka dish, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I was talking to my mom about it and she was like, you know, your papa also make it too. And like my papa is Cantonese, right? And then when I was like posting about my process online, uh, this Paranakan lady was like, oh my God, my mom makes it exactly the same way as you do. And I was like, huh? So Paranakans make it too? You know, I was like so amazed that I thought this dish was very culture specific. But it turned out that everyone embraces it in Singapore. So, so like, like, like what you mentioned, you know, like, like, what's his name? Matt Lloyd Tan, is it? Matthew, Matthew Lloyd. Lloyd Tan. No, it has daily Nonya um, dishes. Dishes. Quite a significant number of things we eat at home as well, you know. Mm. So to me, it's like, yes, you can say it's Nonya, but there are no hard and fast lines, so to speak, you know. I love that. There were a lot of overlap kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of being in Singapore. It's like, you know, like that, that kind of shared nature of food. My grandmother used to make um, dumplings, you know, bak chang. Uh-huh. Um, and she uses the feng rempa in the bak chang. And the pork as well? The pork. She, she does so like... Imagine she, does she braise or does she chop into small pieces like the like nonya chang? So it's the same like nonya chang, you know, oh, you okay. chop everything. Yeah. into tiny pieces oh and then the rempa so most people they'll just use ketumba no coriander yeah. but her, her, her rempa is coriander jintan putih and jintan manis it's exactly the same as a feng rempa I just wrote down on a piece of paper feng dumplings I'm gonna make them <laughs> and it's so yummy that's uh, why I, I, I know she, she was the only one who made it and the rice she wouldn't spice it or anything it's not spiced Okay, and and no blue pea, no nothing. No blue pea, nothing. No. Okay, I'm gonna make that. The, the it's the really thing. yummy because two years ago I had this bout of homesickness, so I made just the the filling, mm. you know, and I ate it with rice. I was like, ah, oh. shocks, yeah. That kind of thing. I was like, oh, I feel at home already. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, are you gonna go back to Singapore? I mean, now that there is, is there VTL for? Uh, we had a VTL, then it, well, then it disappeared because of Omicron. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you not been back? Three years, two years? Um, the last time I was in Singapore was um, Chinese New Year 2020. It would be good to go back, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Given the circumstances, it's like, you know, I've kind of adjusted my expectations as well, like, you know. Yeah, I'm going back in um, in April. Hopefully, like you know, that's still a possibility, lah. Because I'm so homesick. You know, today when I made the chicken with glutinous rice wine soup, uh, seriously, when I ate it, like the moment it entered my mouth, suddenly I started like tearing up, and like I that was the first time ever that I had cried while eating, <laughs> <you know? laughs> like literally crying into the bowl. So I was like. What is happening? You know what I mean? It's like that cliche, right? The ratatouille moment where... Yeah, right. ...talk to you. Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. It's the Madeline moment. It's, yeah. it, it, come, it, well, come, it comes with age. <laughs> oh, don't say that. And, and be happy about it because it is a pure human... You're, you're, just, you're just being human, you know? Just celebrate the fact, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's... it's, it's those moments are to be cherished. Those are, those are actually moments of blessings. 
Mm. Very, very special moments. Yeah, definitely. I, I was like, oh my God, you wouldn't think that, you know, I mean, it's such a simple dish, you know, with like five ingredients. And uh, I, I always feel that the simplest dishes are the, the ones that are the most profound. You know, they are the ones that really touch you in, oh, in such a deep way. I'm very happy you say that because that is what I share as well. It, it's, if you can't enjoy simple food, then it becomes a big question mark. And I think a lot of people are chasing over complex food, you know, God knows what, expensive things, blah, blah, blah. But to me, it's like, you know, if you can appreciate very simple food, then it's really, then you're really in touch with your soul. You know, simple food is like a fried egg, rice, and mm. oh, you know what I really like? My grandmother used to make that. Oh, it is so <laughs> yummy. It is so yummy. But probably you'll have a heart attack or a stroke. She used to cook food with lard. Mm. You know, so she'll render her own lard. Then, yeah. then she'll save the crackling, you know. Mm. The, the, they call it the bak you poke. The yeah. kind of thing. Uh-huh. You, have you heard of this dish, the Pranakas is called um, Sambal Hebi? Hebi Hyam. Hebi Hyam, yeah, correct. Yeah. So imagine Hebi Hyam but made with pork crackling. Mm. So she used to make that. It wait, is wait, so wait. yummy. So you mean she would fold the crackling into the... Into she will have her Hebi Hyam, she will fold the crackling into that. Oh my gosh. And you eat it with just rice, cucumber, and a fried egg, and it's so yummy. Oh my god, I have to try that. I really. It is so yummy. It is so yummy. I need to have that in my life. Seriously, I'm writing all of these things down. <laughs> it is so yummy. Another one, another thing she had was she would fry ikan belis, and then when it's done, she would pour away some most of the oil away. She would put sugar. And she'll put Taoyu inside. And the whole thing will be caramelized, you know. The sugar will melt and it will coat the ikan belis. And then she'll put dark soya sauce and it will coat. So you have this salty, sweet, caramelized oh, wow. ikan belis. And we eat that with rice. Oh, I think I had, I had something similar when I was working at Kendall Nut. They used to make this ikan belis sambal. Okay. And it was very similar. It was like this really black thing. Yeah. Right. Probably like, you know, variations of the same dish. It's home food, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really home food. It's nothing, nothing fantastic. Um, certainly Canada can put a star there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, but it's all home food. Like my, my mother used to say things like, oh, yeah, all these things are home food, lah, you know. Nothing... Nothing fantastic lah. You put in a Michelin star restaurant, you put a star down there, but it's also home food. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, but I feel that that is what's so unique about Singaporean food is that home cooking, like the, the food that we eat at home is so spectacular. Like whether it is the simple dishes or like the laborious festival kind of dishes, like the amount of thought that goes into it is like, spellbounding like my my mom was teaching me how to make the the chicken with glutinous rice wine soup 
she was teaching me like all sorts of tricks like how to clean the chicken so instead of blanching it you can rub it with flour and salt and then like rinse it with water and that gets rid of all the blood and impurities and it creates like this really like clean tasting soup it's like even simple dishes like that have so much wisdom and i really love that part about singaporean cooking it's so artisanal there is a lot of effort so if you look at it there is a lot of effort so talking about cleaning chicken um, I was the first time I cleaned a chicken in the Netherlands. My partner was like, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm cleaning a chicken, ah." So what are you doing? I said, "Dirty, why? Dirty? So, no, you can just use." I said, "No, you cannot just buy from a supermarket and just broke it into your no. It's dirty. You have to clean it." So I was, I had a whole chicken. So I was cleaning the inside or cleaning the outside kind of thing. Yeah. I said, you see how dirty it is, and a lot of people don't know. Yeah. So they think that things are ready to cook, you know. But no, I said, no, you have to clean it. It's really dirty. Um, then he realized that, oh, you know, whatever you want, the taste is clean. Well, he can tell the difference. He could tell the difference. He said, oh, it's different. I said, yeah, of course, you have to clean it. Ah, dirty, I told you. Mm. You know, so so these things when I grew up I saw my grandmother and my mother doing them you know they would clean they would blah and it's like a lot of work before you can cook you know yeah and it, it's a lot of effort mm. but it's so like, worth it lah I feel that you know I feel that home cooking is really an expression of love it's like how much care you put into the food reflects the amount of love that you, that you have for your family and I think that is something that I wish more young Singaporeans really knew. We will get there, lah, you know. Mm. No, whatever it is, we will get to where we will get to kind of thing. It's actually beyond our control. Mm. So I think you are doing your thing. Um, and you are doing this as well with your blog. I, doing my thing. I mean, to, to me, it's, I'm just doing my thing. Um, um, I wonder, I think not many people subscribe to the way I cook and my, my philosophy, so to speak. And for me, it's like, so be it, lah, you know? It's like, I just do my thing. If it's received, it's received. If it's not received, it's not received, lah. So it's like St. John the Baptist in the desert, screaming and screaming and shouting and shouting. And I said, you want to hear, you hear, lah. You don't want to hear, never mind, lah. You know, I just continue baking my lapis kind of thing. You want to eat, you eat. You don't want to eat, you don't eat. It's like, it's an invitation. Um, and it's like, if people are interested, then here I am, you know, I'm, I'm here. Get as much information from me when I am still alive, so to speak. Yes, I feel like people like you are like national treasures. So much information, so much stories, so much knowledge and know-how. Anyway, this has been such a lovely conversation. I really enjoyed likewise. talking to you. Likewise, likewise. That wraps up another episode of the Singapore Noodles podcast. You have been listening to Christopher Ng of the blog Christopher's Asian Delicacies. We now stand at the crossroads where we are witnessing the vanishing of traditional dishes and the gradual erosion of our rich food culture. Now more than ever, we have to encourage one another to get back into the kitchen to cook food from our heritage. Singapore Noodles is offering a membership dedicated to equipping anyone with everything that they need to start cooking local. Visit sgpnoodles.com to find out more. Once again, thank you for listening to the Singapore Noodles podcast, where we believe in a world where Singaporeans are proud of our rich and diverse food culture and play an active role in keeping traditions alive.